Hello everybody, Bradley here, and welcome back into Let's Dive Deep Harry Potter, where today Rachel and I are taking a look and analyzing Philosopher's Stone Chapter 10, entitled Halloween. Just a quick reminder that this podcast may contain adult content, will contain spoilers for all of Harry Potter, so make sure you're read up on those seven books. And finally, check the show notes real quick. There's a Facebook group in there if you want to join that and come hang out with all the Let's Dive Deep nerds over the various kind of deep dives that we do. Uh, we have a Twitter, we have a Patreon. If you want to go to the Patreon, throw a couple galleons our way and we'll give you early access to all of the episodes and those types of things so that's there if you want to check that out as well we actually have a few new patrons this week over from the bridgerton deep dive as well which has been exciting so feel free to check that out if you are keen on that uh we have twitter at let's dive deep and a gmail address let's dive deep pod at gmail.com for all of your emails just feedback on the podcast and your own analysis of the chapters whatever you want to do i think that's it that's all though we are ready to dive deep into harry potter All right, everybody, welcome back into Let's Dive Deep Harry Potter. We are here with Chapter 10 of the Philosopher's Stone, Halloween. And this week, just for a little behind-the-scenes info, uh, usually I do all the note docs and stuff, but I was super lazy this week and completely forgot, so Rachel stepped up and uh, did, did the, the note set up for this episode, so she has the recap for you. And what a recap it is. So as we left off last time, Harry and Ron almost got caught at the Midnight Duel. The next morning, Malfoy is surprised to see that Harry and Ron didn't get into trouble. But they are back and better than ever with a specially obtained Nimbus 2000. After that, Harry meets Oliver Wood for the first time. Personally, I swoon. And he learns <laughs> the three rules of Quidditch. Only three. Unsurprisingly, he's amazing at Quidditch. Harry gets into the rhythm of Hogwarts and two months absolutely fly by. And now it's Halloween. After a testy exchange in charms class, Ron accidentally insults Hermione. Upset, she skips class and takes refuge in the girls' bathroom. When Quirrell interrupts dinner to tell the entire school that a troll is loose in the dungeon, Harry and Ron rush down to make sure that Hermione's okay. Uh-oh, the troll's there! After a quick nasal massage and a bunk on the head, the troll is defeated and Hermione lies to protect the boys. Do we finally have our best friend trio? I think so. That was a great recap. Absolutely wonderful. Thank you, Rachel. Uh, th this chapter is incredible. It's short, it's sweet, it packs a punch. It's almost two separate chapters that I suppose are just too small to be their own chapter. So they have mm -hmm. to be kind of put together. But we must start, as always, with these kind of post-episode eights. Well, now that we're at Hogwarts, with should a teacher have been fired <laughs> at Hogwarts? I feel like I feel like this is gonna get really old really quickly. But you know, the statistics matter. Rachel, should a teacher have been fired in this chapter? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. My notes are super long, but I'll keep it brief. Quirrell, um, even without knowing that he was the one who let the troll in. Uh, there has to be a better procedure for telling the headmaster that a troll's in the dungeon than <laughs> frightening the entire school. <laughs> right. Yeah, there's yeah. no there's a procedure for that. Also, he's literally the defense against the dark arts teacher. You can't take on one troll. You don't know Stupendo. So I just said quarrel either for incompetence or failure to follow guidelines. Fair. I put I have two for this one actually, and one of them is mm -hmm. gonna be a little bit tricky to navigate. 
Uh, first is obviously Quirrell. I'm attributing, like, we don't know yet in the book that he let the troll in, but I know that as a reader because we're rereading. That's the whole point of this podcast. So totally counts to attribute that now uh, because he won't be fired again for it later. He'll be fired later for being actually Voldemort. So <laughs> uh, Quirrell gets fired for letting the troll in. I hadn't even thought about the lack of workplace emergency procedures that Quirrell <laughs> just yells in front of all the children that there's a troll in the dungeon. Um, so yeah, Quirrell's getting fired. I also put possibly McGonagall. I don't know if this rises to like a fireable offense or, you know, it's the wizarding world. So there probably are no rules against any of this, which is wild, mm. but like, I'm pretty sure it is super not cool to be like g- giving personal gifts to students, like paid for yeah. with your own money. When they're, especially when they're like expensive gifts, and then that student is then going to use that gift in a way that benefits them, but also kind of benefits you. Like she has a stake in the game wanting Gryffindor to win the cup. And so it's like weird to me because not only are you giving a a minor a gift, you're giving a minor a a gift of value, which is even worse. And then Mm -hmm. like the use of that gift of value kind of, kind of lines up with your own kind of um what's the word the things that you want to happen yeah i don't know anyways it's just i don't know if we gotta fire mcgonagall i just want to bring up that this is a problem and this is weird and i'm shocked that teachers are just allowed to uh buy broomsticks for the children yeah like i know it, it gets mentioned later in the chapter that like she got special permission for it but even then like a nimbus tube that's like the newest model of broom that had to be out of budget that right. It also like like it also just makes the Quidditch like oh we're gonna talk a lot about Quidditch. It also just makes the Quidditch like a who is the richest teacher that's the head of house who wants to spend their money on the Quidditch team. Like if if friggin' Snape can just go and buy Slytherin a whole new kit or whatever, but like mm. a, all it's doing is putting like pressure on Professor Sprout. Like now her seeker is gonna be going to her and be like, hey yo, why does Hufflepuff have the clean sweep five? Like open the open the coin purse. Like we gotta get a Nimbus. Like it creates all kinds of. Oh, I don't know. Just weird to me that that's that's allowed. Yeah, I didn't even think about that until I saw it in your notes. But yeah, that would definitely not be allowed. Oh, certainly not. I'm shocked it is at Hogwarts. But <laughs> but like we've talked about many times, there just are no rules. Like it's part of the fun of Harry Potter is there just are no rules. Yeah, chaos reigns. Right. All right. So at the start of this chapter, believe it or not, you know, uh, for those listening kind of back to back to back, you've gone through about two and a half hours of Rachel and I just memeing on on the book. (laughs) And this chapter is actually chock full of just a a lot of really cool things. We kind of start off with Malfoy finding out, uh, dun, 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 his plan was foiled. (laughs) They they did not get caught at the duel that he was never going to turn up turn up to Uh, but even worse for Malfoy is now he finds out that uh, Harry's got a cool fucking broom and he's going to be on the Quidditch team which we we learned earlier at the Madame Malkins that Malfoy was really upset that first years couldn't be on the Quidditch team so this is just like a double a double dunk on Malfoy early on in this double whammy just yeah like a left hook and then a right hook just right (laughs) to the face he's down for the count I also love that he thought they were going to be expelled that's true like, too, yeah. Oh, they got caught out of curfew. They're definitely getting expelled. They're not getting detention. They're not getting a warning. They're definitely getting kicked out of the school. I think that's fair for an 11-year-old, though. Mm, I think that's, yeah. like, I'm going to talk a little bit about, like, the 
like how well this chapter is written from the perspective of 11 year olds when the two buffoons mm. lock the troll in the bathroom with Hermione, <laughs> even though they yeah. kind of knew that that's where they were going. Anyway, that's separate for later. Um, but it, I think it tracks that Malfoy as an 11 year old would just assume like, haha, I'm so clever. They're going to get expelled. And really that was never going to happen. Yeah. I also, I think it's funny that like at the start of the chapter, Ron and Harry are kind of like, oh yeah, we don't even care about Malfoy anymore. Cause we found that we found Fluffy. Who, they don't know his name Fluffy yet, but they're like, oh, found the giant dog. And then, like, two paragraphs later, they're like, all they could think about was revenge on Malfoy. I'm like, which one is it? Yeah, like, I think that's also very 11-year-old. Actually, like, I think <laughs> just people are just like that. Like, I, I go back and forth with things all the time. Um, mm. Yeah, you have me on Steam, and you'll see, like, me just open five games in the span of an hour. And it's like, I just oh. have just complete indecision about what I want to be doing at any one time. And I think that's what's happening here. It's very nice of you to call yourself out on that and not me, because I'm probably worse. Right. Well, I'm not going yeah. to. I'm just going to throw you to the wolves for no reason. I do it, too. So I'll call myself out. And then if you want to call yourself out. Uh, yeah, you it's also true. do that very much. Play a lot of balloons. A lot of balloons. <laughs> a lot of there's a towers game that you play that I don't know, but it just pops yeah, up all the time. It's like Tetris. Oh, <laughs> fair enough. Um, mm. okay, so after that happens, Malfoy's like, dun-dun-dun, double whammy, everything sucks. Uh, this actual, I want to talk a little bit about the logistics of this broom arrival. <laughs> yeah, okay, sends can we? It, <laughs> sends it with an owl, and maybe I'm just, I'm visualizing this the way the movie does it, and it's, mm -hmm. slight, it's slightly less, like, crazy than that in the book, but not that much mm. so. It's a giant broom that just lands in front of Harry. It's so big that it knocks his bacon off the table. And then a separate letter arrives on top of that from another owl, thus bringing more attention to the situation <laughs> that says, don't open it at the table. It's a cool broom or whatever. And it's like, it's shaped like a broom because Malfoy touches it later. And it's like, like what? Oh, it's yeah, so silly. It's yeah, I was like, what, did you order an extra stick? Like, an extra long stick? Like, it's obviously a broom. And right. then the note says, don't tell anyone it's a broom. And it's like, okay, I love that he has a Nimbus, and it's super exciting, and I'm really glad that he's going to get to fly. But McGonagall, as the head of house, you didn't have any other opportunity to give Harry this broom. Right, like, it had to be delivered. So, like, so what happened is, like, she ordered it for him. Mm -hmm. And had it delivered from the shop just directly to Hogwarts. Mm. Like, why don't you just order that for yourself and just walk into the common room one evening with it? Like, do we need to have this public display? Yeah. Especially because, like, once the first Quidditch game happens, everyone's going to find out that Harry's on the team and has the broom anyway. Yeah, so it, there could have been a way, like, a very casual handoff. But no, it it was very ostentatious. Yeah, there's a lot of good dunks that happen here, too. Malfoy says to Ron that he, I suppose he has to save, or the he says to Ron that he supposes the twins have to save stick by stick for their brooms, and that that made me laugh out loud as I was reading it this morning. Like, that's just such a good, JK is so good at writing yeah. these burns. They're, I don't think they're proportionate to the age. I don't know, I don't know any 11-year-olds, and I work with many that are this good. Who are that clever. Who are that clever, but that's a great burn. And then even later, Harry with like the social self-awareness when he's talking to Flitwick about the broom, kind of going like, oh yeah, it's really thanks to Malfoy that I have it. He was a huge part in my acquisition of this expensive broom. And I'm like, just the social awareness there makes that an awesome dunk as well. And I, I just enjoyed that for this chapter. Yeah, I loved, I loved that Professor Flitwick just stepped in. I'm curious to know if, because... 
I was, we're a bit skipping ahead, but Malfoy like grabs the broom. He's like, you're not even allowed to have that. And then Flitwick kind of pops up out of nowhere and he's like, oh, no, no, I heard about that. That's a specially allowed broom from Professor McGonagall for reasons. Right, but Flip, what, what Flipwick should be saying is like, yeah, that's fucking bullshit, because now <laughs> Ravenclaw is going to get murdered in Quidditch, and my only option is, I suppose, to buy Nimbuses for my own team? Like, do you know how much a Hogwarts salary is? I can't right. afford that shit. Right, that's exactly right. Like, that's what Flipwick should be saying. I never thought about this until I read it this chapter yeah. this morning, but I'm like, why are all these other teachers also stoked about this? Just more confirmation that McGonagall has an underground Quidditch gambling ring. Yeah, that was the that's the binge mode take on McGonagall, which I I fully support. That's a hilarious take. That she she's like a chronic gambler, <laughs> and that she's been like she's scouting Harry Potter, and that's why she bought the broom is because she'll make her money back on the bookies. And I'm like, this is fun. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, also, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was gonna say I just had a funny thought that like now would be the perfect time to invest in Nimbus. Right. Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you have the son of of well known athlete becomes athlete in his own right. Swears by Nimbus. You know, stocks only go up. But even more than that, most famous person in world rides your broomstick. Like se- yeah, separate from yeah. that, he's also the most famous person on the planet. It would be like if Barack Obama mm. just like hopped on a broomstick. <laughs> <laughs> it's like everyone buy a Swiffer. You're like, holy shit, this is awesome. Like yeah, I yeah. If I did see Obama using a Swiffer. I would buy an. Ad- I already have a Swiffer. I would buy an additional one. Right, I'd be like it. It doesn't need. Yeah, it doesn't even matter to the person. Like just someone with that much notoriety. I think mm-hmm. you're right. I think Nimbus stocks are through the roof right now. Really sucks for clean sweep stocks though. I mean, how well were they ever really doing? That's true. Also, I don't even know. I I bet you Nimbus makes the Firebolt later on, and we just don't find that out. Like it's like a, oh, mm. uh, like you know how like car companies or like cereal or whatever all owned by the same company. They just have different names. Yeah. I reckon it's like that. It's like Firebolt, and then in really small letters, buy Nimbus. I I would buy that. That's my logic for how. Yeah. That's my logic for how the Nimbus just after the two thousand one just falls into obscurity. And the firebolt mm-hmm. just, but then after the firebolt comes in book four, there's no more broom talk. Like that is the peak. Like broom yeah. technology just is done after book four. Yeah, no, Harry has the firebolt and then no other broom advancements are made ever again. <laughs> For the end of time, that's it. Yeah, that's the best one. And JK doesn't have time to revisit it. It's just the firebolt. Get used to it. Yeah, I think I would have been mad, actually, in the last three books if there was time spent on the broom stuff. So it's probably a good decision, but it is weird considering how much time we spend on it early on, leading up to Mm -hmm. to book five. Mm -hmm. We get to Quidditch, and you you swoon for Oliver Wood. Is this book Oliver Wood kind of beforehand, or was it the, the dude who plays him in the movie that was like, ah, he's cute? Uh, it's a little bit of both because it's like the first like older wizard that like we meet Fred and George and Percy, but they're like they're introduced to be annoying. So you kind of file that away. But then Wood is like he's super cool and he's the captain of the Quidditch team and he's a wizard jock. And then you <laughs> see him in the jock. movie. Hell yeah. yeah. And then you see him in the movie and I watched the first movie. I was I was probably like 11. I think I wasn't that much older than Harry was supposed to be. And I was like, this is the cutest guy I've ever seen. And then he was also <laughs> British. And so I was right. like, okay, it's all over. Yeah. <laughs> Cute, older, and with an accent. Okay, cool, cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Oliver Wood is there. 
And he's explaining Quidditch to Harry and says the words, Quidditch is easy enough to understand. And I wrote, nope, it is not easy <laughs> enough to understand. I suppose it is. It just makes no sense. So like the more you understand it, mm. the more questions you have about it. It's not, an, it's not a fully understandable sport because the more you think about it, the more you get lost yeah. in this loop of just like, what is going on? Yeah. Like, if you read them out on a page, the rules make sense. But if you were to ask why to any of the rules, no one could give you a good answer. And it's because there isn't a good answer either. <laughs> yeah. What I do um, like about Quidditch, though, and this introduction to Quidditch, is... So JK does not need to make a sport that makes sense. The sport is like a way for harry to be good at something right like this is like mm -hmm. that's why this sport exists so it doesn't need to make sense but what i love about it so much when i read this as a kid is that it's just magical like it's just a fully magical sport and there are some things that i've liked so far and I, we've talked about it where they're like where they're normal kind of muggle things made magical right so it's not too mm -hmm. far away from what we're doing but quidditch is like one of those things that i'm glad she kind of went full in like yep we're going full stereotype all the witches and wizards they're riding brooms for sure uh, that's <laughs> what they're doing right and it pulls from a bunch of different sports to the point where you it's not distinguishedly it's not like it's not the wizard version of a muggle sport it's like it's a yeah it's a variation of a bunch of different sports together but then the the seeker position and the beater positions are completely unique. Like there's not very many sports that have anything kind of like that at all. And so just a really well-built sport for a magical world for an 11 year old to read. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I really, really liked Quidditch when I first read it. And I, I still like it now. It's really fun to read about. And then like, you know, the Quidditch uh, finals in book four is still really, really cool to read and also watch. But the more you dig into the rules, just the more questions you have. <laughs> I, I think the best time to get into the rules is actually when the games are being played. Because in this chapter, they talk all about, like, there was one game so long that they needed, like, substitutes so the players could sleep. But then later yeah. on, we find out the teams don't have any substitute players and that, like, matches have to be canceled or they just have to play with, like, one less person. And it's like, well, wait yeah. a second. Like, what? <laughs> Why do these teams not have substitutes? So, yeah, even within the books, like, it's completely contradictory from book to book. The rules are kind of just whatever is needed for the plot yeah. advancement of whatever Quidditch is trying to achieve. It's so silly. Like, in school, you'd especially think, like, they'd want to get more kids involved in organized sports. But no, every Quidditch team only has seven players. And that's it. They can be from any year. They don't even have like a Quidditch team per year. It's just seven total. Right. And if you don't make the starting lineup, you're out of luck. See you next year. But you also only have 10. Like if you did it based on the year, you, you'd only have like, you, there's only 10 new people for each house every year. Oh, right. Roughly. Yeah. So that would be seven of the 10 people have to want to play Quidditch and then have to be. Yeah, I don't even think you could. Yeah. And then the other three just kick rocks. Right. So yeah, there's in the scenario where they all want to play Quidditch, it's terrible because then three of them have to kick rocks. In the scenario where not mm. enough of them want to play Quidditch, you can't even put a team together. And if you do, none of them will be good at their positions. And like that also means mm. everyone has to be good at flying. Like we we know Hermione's not good at flying and doesn't want to play Quidditch. You get enough people like that every year, and you just can't put a team together. So yeah, it's certainly not ideal. 
Well, now we're starting to see why McGonagall is so invested in getting Harry right. up to the team. We got one good player. He needs a good broom. He's in his first year. We got like it's an investment. He'll be here for six more years after this, right? If we can yeah. win four Quidditch World Cups, I'll have made one and a half million galleons, and it'll be can, can finally retire. <laughs> I can retire from this Hogwarts salary that I'm making. Mm -hmm. I okay. I have to draw attention, though, to the part where Harry asks Oliver if uh, the Bledgers have ever killed someone. That was a funny question. That's He's good... just like, oh, oh, don't worry. Not at Hogwarts. They have, but not at Hogwarts. Like, what? Right, but then he also <laughs> makes, I guess I guess in the magical world they can fix it, but he also makes, like, broken jaws sound pleasant. Yeah, yeah, oh, don't worry. Like, the most you could ever do is shatter the bottom half of your face, but it'll be fine. <laughs> uh, that, yeah, that was such a good line. That's so funny. I, I suppose, though, it's one of those things that when you read it, it's really funny. But, like, I hop mm -hmm. in a car and drive a lot of the time. It's like, if I ask somebody, has a car ever killed anybody? It's like, oh, yeah, hundreds of thousands, like millions of people. Oh, yeah. Right? And so, like, mm -hmm. maybe, maybe from that point of view, it's actually not that scary. I suppose that's true. I guess you'd have to be flying really dumb to get killed by a bludger, considering they're, like, blunt objects that are extremely easy to see. That's true. I, but back, I, I right? guess if you're getting hit from behind, though. Like, if you're flying and, like, oh. the beaters are hitting you from the back with it. Oh, if is you... there, like, a cross-checking equivalent in Quidditch? No, I don't think there are any rules. They always bring <laughs> no up rules. that there are fouls. They bring up in some book that there's like 600 different fouls in Quidditch. I'm like, well, that's just simply not true because these guys beat the shit out of each other every match. Yeah, don't they like <laughs> knock Oliver Wood out, like out cold in the first game and Hooch is like, I'll allow it. Right, yeah, yeah. There's no, there's nothing consistent about it. Which is, I think, good for a magical sport in a magical book. It is kind mm -hmm. of fun, though, to do this exercise of trying to equate it to a real sport. The closest thing I could think of is like the NFL overtime rule in the playoffs where one team can just mm. win without the other team having a possession. And it's like, wait a second. That seems. Oh, is that the sudden death rule? Yeah. So the NFL, play I I'm not a huge football guy, but I watch the playoffs and, you know, pick, pick mm -hmm. the odd game here or there. And yeah, the one team in the playoffs, like once you're in overtime, I think you do a coin toss. There's, there's some way to determine possession. And if you uh -huh. score on that first drive, the other team just doesn't get the chance to score back. Oh, like they just right. don't get the ball. And it's like, well, this is so dumb. And so that's the only time in sports where I'm like, this is, this is a truly stupid rule that is kind of anti the sport that we're playing here, which I just feel with Quidditch all the time. Yeah. Poor Quidditch. It did, it did seem really, really cool the first time I read about it, though. I was really excited for it. I, I think it's cool. I'm going to dunk on it a lot because, you know, mm -hmm. like that's the fun of being an adult reading these books is that you can do yeah. that. But I, I want to be on the record. Like, Quidditch is cool. Quidditch is fun. I'm glad it's in the books. I'm glad it's magical. It doesn't need to make any sense. We're about to get to Wingardium Leviosa, which I have so many questions about how that works as well, uh, considering mm -hmm. the kinds of magic we, we learn later. But is there anything else on Quidditch you wanted to, to chat about? Uh, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to the snitch. Because I think the snitch, the golden snitch is like the coolest, one of the coolest things that JK designs about her universe. It's this tiny golden flying ball with silver wings and it's beautiful and it's like a magical hummingbird. And I just always found it like entrancing when I saw it on the screen. 
So kudos to thinking of that because the other it's like it's a glorified red volleyball is the quaffle and the bludgers are just like black murder balls so i think in contrast this is really, really cool. <laughs> when, yeah when you contrast it against the black murder balls it sounds really elegant yeah yeah so that was my only my last thought on quidditch at least awesome i'm sure we'll have so many more than every time quidditch comes oh up. yeah <laughs> we we go into class and we're learning some spells. Uh, I think is this the point where Harry says that it's cool because they've learned the basics of magic already. I think yes, this is the point. Two months. Because <laughs> I wrote down because <laughs> this whole story is pretty much Harry and Ron not knowing the basics of anything for seven books, <laughs> and Hermione having to save them. There's a part in book seven where Harry like reminisces about how he hasn't asked Hermione how to do a simple healing charm. And this this guy at 11 is like, no, no sweat. I've got the basics down. We've been here for two months. We're good to go. I choose to believe it's just like how to hold your wand so that you don't like blow your eyebrows off a la Seamus. Right. So like the basics are like you are now able to not like grievously wound yourself or others with the magic accidentally. Yeah. Like to use your car analogy, it's like you get in the car and you put on your seatbelt and you put your key in the ignition the right. basics Gosh. and then you don't know anything else but now you have right. a metal death machine to control so it's really like the pre-basics like if we exactly. were exactly okay cool 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 uh, i did note that harry realizing that he's been at hogwarts for two months is just really really sweet uh it's easy to forget that he's like a super traumatized child who lived in an abusive family for 10 years once the once all the mm -hmm. magic stuff gets started then we're kind of wrapped up in that um but him him having that moment where he's kind of like Hogwarts has felt like more of a home than than the Dursleys ever did, and like the two months have flown by, and I'm having the best time. I was like, oh, that's just so sweet. Yeah, it it's nice, and I just I didn't realize that Quidditch practice was three days a week. So he's building these other relationships with like older Gryffindor witches and wizards as well, which must be so nice to actually like have some guidance. So it's nice to see Harry actually kind of fitting in somewhere. Yeah, I also, I didn't note it down, but it also kind of strikes me just how supportive Ron is in all of it. Like, this is someone who wants mm. to fly and play Quidditch, and, and will end up doing that in, in later books, too. Um, mm. But, like, Harry, not only is Harry, like, the super famous one, and he kind of plays the role sometimes as, like, the sidekick who's just kind of around, um, which I think is a, mm. it's not really how the relationship works, but that's kind of essentially, if you were to boil it down to the most basic terms, yeah. kind of what his role in the trio is it's kind of like the best mm. friend of the chosen one um yeah. but also that the fact that like harry as this super famous person is getting to do all the things ron wants to do and he just doesn't mm. have a single thing to say about it negative or whatever and he's just super supportive I, I i think that's awesome yeah i think ron from like the very start here has like always had harry's back and he just keeps he's consistent in that and it's really nice to see especially after the two-month time skip they're like they're just talking to each other like they're brothers like they know everything already so i also thought that was really sweet yeah uh the the two they're they're the guy have so many notes about harry and ron for the rest of this chapter they get to <laughs> charms class they've mastered the pre-basics they've got their seatbelts on they've put their key in the ignition it is time to learn some spells now i just want to talk a little bit about wingardium leviosa what i what i like about Harry Potter's magic is that it's actually rather unexplained. I think that fits Harry Potter really well. There are some series like Mistborn or whatever, or like uh, the name of the wind, I believe is another one where it's like, yeah. there's some pretty 
really well fleshed out magic systems. And I, yeah. when they're done well, I like that. I kind of like Harry Potter's magic system in so far as that it's not really explained. However, with something like Wingardium Leviosa, it's made really clear here that like the way you say the words, not just saying them, but like the way you say them and the arm movement, the specific mm-hmm. movement are critically important for executing this spell. And I always wonder like how that just tracks later with like nonverbal magic, like how it's, I, I don't need answers to these questions, but this is kind of the first time we're learning about a specific spell and how it works. And all of these details mm-hmm. are like really juicy, but one of the problems with the books, it's the same problem where we learned about the wands and how like some wands are better at transfiguration or whatever. And that just never mm-hmm. comes up again. Right. Yeah. Where it's like, Oh man, I wish I got a little more of this stuff where they're kind of explaining how this all works. Cause it's not perfect answers, but I'm, I really enjoyed reading this again this morning that I was getting a little bit of like, Hey, here's how the magic works. You got to move your hand this way. You got to say the words this way. And that's all important. Yeah, absolutely. I think, and it's so charming too. Hermione correcting Ron on how to say Wingardium Leviosa. I think we get a little bit of it in book five when they're doing the whole Dumbledore's army arc um, where Harry has to like actually teach spells. But yeah, it's, I think this is one of like the only very specific spell learning scenes we actually get in the books or the movies. So maybe a lot of the spells that we actually see have these specific requirements and we just don't see it. Yeah, they they probably do. It's more that like it would just been it would have been so cool to have like a payoff to this scene. Like it would have been so yeah. cool after like Ollivander's wand scene to have a scene in like book five where two people are dueling and one of them is like changing their strategy based on what the other person like the type of magic they're good at. Like oh, I'm mm-hmm. dueling this person and they have this wand, which means they're good at really good at hexes. So I'm gonna. Mm-hmm. Right. And that, that doesn't, it would have been the same here where yeah. it's like, oh, like this spell would be really useful, but they like, when Guardian Leviosa requires like a lot of arm movements, like I'm going to bind them so that they can't, ca-. you know what I mean? Like just some yeah. kind of payoff somewhere to all of this stuff. Cause later in the troll scene, we're not going to get like an explanation like, yo, Ron finally said the words properly. And we just, it's just assumed that he did. Mm-hmm. But it's like, I would have loved like, oh, Ron had to back away from the troll. So we had enough time and room to like cast. I don't know. Maybe I'm just being a little yeah. picky, but like, I this was so cool to read about, and it just never pays off, which kind of sucks. Yeah, I think they did a, a a better job of it in the movie. I think because they they visually show him doing the swish and flick, and then actually saying it properly. Right. It'd yeah. Be, it'd be hard, like just in terms of like the tension they're trying to create in the scene to say Ron very carefully. Swished and flicked. <laughs> true, true, true. <laughs> now that you're kind of saying that, like, oh, maybe that would have yeah. been super lame. Yeah, but um, I don't know. Harry like definitely plays into his strengths considering his wand. Like the only spell he ever casts is Expelliarmus. Yeah, it becomes his signature <laughs> move. I, I, I have. I like that, guys, like Harry. in book seven, where it's actually described by Lupin as his signature move. Like it's a like like wizarding is just wrestling. Like every every wrestler has their signature spell that no one else has. I also just think it's extra funny because I never really understood how Expelliarmus worked, practically speaking, because sometimes the wand would like yeet itself into oblivion, and it would just be lost. Sometimes you could like you cast Expelliarmus and the the wand would like come to you. Right. So I just don't know like what practically it does. 
I personally find the yeeting the wand into the ether is much funnier than just like taking it, but that's just me. Yeah, I think that's probably more of a movie thing where they do it a bunch of different mm-hmm. ways. But like, I think that's what's fascinating about like not really understanding about how the magic works is like there's some level of innateness and intention to it. Like later we mm-hmm. learn with the unforgivable curses, like that you can just say them and point your wands at people, but you have to really mean it. There's like yeah. some kind of magical ethereal judge that as you're casting a spell knows whether or not you mean it enough for mm-hmm. it to do the thing that you want it to do, which I find fascinating. Cause like, how do you gauge whether someone like, what is the magical thing that's gauging the amount of hatred or whatever you need for Crucio? I don't know, but it's just fascinating to me. Yeah. And I think if I'm just pontificating here, I would almost think that like the motions and the specific pronunciation are like training wheels to the actual casting of magic because i think if you have the focus to actually create the intent for a specific spell you want it becomes less important which is why wizards like dumbledore can cast spells without their wand and without speaking but why baby wizards and witches have to do those specific things because it it guides the intent and they can't quite form it on their own yet but that's just a theory Ooh, interesting i i could i could talk for like eight hours about like how magic yeah. works in harry potter and just be like <laughs> super into it uh ron in class is described as ro- waving his arms like a windmill which which <laughs> is not like what that's not even practical like, i i did like, i will admit to everyone listening that when i read this i actually stood out of my chair this morning and like waved mm-hmm. my arms like a windmill to find out how unpractical that is to do how? and i like how raw like because i wrote down like like how is this guy one of the heroes like are we rooting like how do we end up rooting for this guy he's in class he's meant to do like a simple swish and flick he's waving his arms everywhere <laughs> like an idiot with her oh so good but he's so charming <laughs> but this is also the same ron who believed that like um sunshine daisy butter mellow would turn scabbers yellow so he's not like i don't think he's the most immediately adept but as no, learn, he, he takes constructive criticism he but also like he goes from <laughs> waving his arms like a windmill to, to nailing the spell in the same chapter like it's crazy yeah. he, he, he ron is a treat the ron in this chapter is an absolute treat i i laughed out loud at the waving his arms like a windmill i completely yeah. forgot that that was a description that we got in this book mm-hmm. i go up and down on my opinion of ron in this episode because he is very funny and he's really good to harry he's so mean to hermione yeah, yeah, he he was not on my winners list for the episode. He was not in contention, but he he has a good no. he has a good chapter. Uh, Hermione then just of course aces the spell because she's not waving her arms around like she's she was always yeah. gonna ace the spell, but she's kind of doing it, it's kind of portrayed against Ron's stupidity here. So you get it's like mm-hmm. a double whammy where you're like, oh, not only is Hermione super competent, which we always knew, but showing it next to Ron's windmill arms makes it even more competent, uh, which really mm-hmm. actually is a genuinely fun bit of writing to, to get us to, to realize just how much better Hermione is compared to the people that she is going to hang out with for the rest of the book. Yeah. I did also like that the scene also kind of made her look not very showboaty because she knew she could do the spell. She did it first try, but our first, like, view of her is her actually trying to get Ron to do it right, even if she's not doing it in the nicest way possible, 
she doesn't want to do it until he literally just yells at her to do it. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of nice that even though she does have the knowledge, she's not just like a giant show off. Yeah, I don't I don't think we get that sense from her. We get the sense like that when she's answering questions, but that's only because mm-hmm. it annoys her that the teachers won't call on her when no one else knows the answer. Not because yeah. she herself cares that she gets called on for the answer. I don't mm-hmm. think. Yeah, I think just just the fact that it's like it's like when you're watching Jeopardy and you know the answer, but all three of the contestants just stay silent and you're so angry. Right. Because you know it. <laughs> That's right. And then you knowing too, if you were on Jeopardy, you'd get absolutely creamed. Like it would oh, not, yeah. just absolute destruction. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great, great, great run. Of, great chapter here for Hermione. I agree. I hadn't really mm-hmm. thought about it that much. Hermione really, when we, I like Ron, but like for her, someone mm-hmm. who already doesn't like her, right? Someone mm-hmm. she knows already doesn't really like her to just be like messing it up so badly and then like getting mad at you about it. I like the mm-hmm. fact that she doesn't showboat more is a is a good bit of character building for her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely competent, but not like a giant ass about it. Yeah, we also get the hilarious the way this is written too is so funny because then the, the line in the book immediately after after Hermione does the spell is and then Ron was in a very bad mood for the rest of the day it's like <laughs> yes <laughs> like, that's all we need to know about the, the the end result of this this embarrassment of Ronald Weasley is that he's just in a very bad mood very sore loser this Ronald <laughs> right yeah and again like not only did he it's not like he did it correctly and then she just did it better. It's like he looked like an idiot and she was mm-hmm. impeccable, like in the technique and the way she said it, like 10 of the 10. So he got, not only did he get shown up, he got shown up and he couldn't even do the thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, complete loss on every front. <laughs> uh, Ron decides after this giant L to be really mean to Hermione in a way that is completely unnecessary, but also, again, this book is written really well for 11 year olds. I feel like it's very true to 11 year olds. Like when I was 11, if I just got like embarrassed by a classmate in class, cause they were just like one upping me in magic or whatever, especially if I already found this person annoying. I don't Mm -hmm. think what Ron says here is so out of line for like an annoyed 11 year old in a bad mood. No. And I think thinking back to when I was 11 and having dealt with 11 year olds in the past, I think sometimes kids around that age, um, what they say is so hurtful because it comes from a place of honesty. There's always a kernel of truth in the things that they say about you. And that's why it sucks. Like, they're not just calling you a butthead. It's usually, it's something that's very pointed. Right. And so it's not just, she frustrated me, she showed me up at class. It's, she's super annoying. And that's why she has no friends. Yeah, I think it's like, and that's why, I think it's like, she's a nightmare. Like, ouch. Yeah. That's not very nice. And it's, and it's, he's not entirely wrong. He, she hasn't done a good job of um, socializing with the rest of her classmates. She clearly is a little bit socially isolated. Um, And because it's true, it just really hits hard. And so it makes me feel sad for Hermione and also for Ron because, like, he's not wrong, but he was wrong in saying so. Right. I have to actually, like, this is, 
for those of you who don't work with kids all the time, if you're listening to this, um, so what the what are the I just work with kids all the time, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them all the time. And when we do our staff training, we have to like do a module on not letting the opinions of a nine year old get to you because <laughs> nine year olds will say the like they are better at insulting you than adults are like like you were saying like it's just so pointed and there's always a bit of honesty to it and they don't have any kind of social moderation and so like Mm -hmm. they don't they're not usually like swearing at you or anything because they don't understand that either but it's usually very much like there's this oh it was really funny to watch but would have been really bad like for the cooks that cook our food in the kitchen and stuff like if kids don't like it they will walk up to the kitchen and just be like this food is terrible and like throw their plate on the ground or whatever and it's like oh like that must feel so bad if you are the cook because like you you just have to not let the opinion of a nine-year-old get to you because they will they will find a way to just like pierce through the armor because there's no social constraint they're just like they just say what they're thinking haven't quite developed a sense of shame yet so they never really get embarrassed at having said something in that kind of pointed way they'll just tell you oh absolutely i remember i saw a few of my younger cousins i had just gone to my first year university i gained the freshman 15 i was self-conscious about it and then i went to a family gathering and my like 10 year old cousin was like you got bigger and just just walked away it was like three words yeah, and I was like, okay. And and that was just how my day started. And I was like, how do I deal with that? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and it's and I like in that case too, sometimes they're not even trying to insult you. Like sometimes it's just like an no. observation. Like Yeah. No, it wasn't incorrect. I was technically larger. I didn't appreciate being told in that manner, but she wasn't wrong. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Oh, ten year olds. Crazy. Um, so all to say Hermione ends up crying in the bathroom. Yeah, so Hermione ends up crying in the bathroom. Fair enough. That's I feel like that's very true to school. Um mm-hmm, there's mm-hmm. a lot of people throughout my school years crying in bathrooms for various reasons. Yep. <laughs> Not always because they were insulted by other people, but I think I think I think enough people had a crying in a bathroom experience. Oh, absolutely. That this feels pretty relatable for most people. Over in, I, I don't, I, 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 this chapter is the first chapter where I'm like, have I read this book before? Because I don't recall any of these details. I noted mm-hmm. that there are a thousand live bats in the dining hall area, the great hall, which just sounds like all of these children are getting rabies at some point. Like, is Hagrid, do we yeah. trust that Hagrid has trained these bats to not bite people? I, I also, my question was, okay, bats poop a lot. Like a lot. So are you telling me that there are like all of these bats in the Great Hall and no poop landed on the food? Right. And we get Arthur. We- I never thought about that either. We get Arthur Weasley in like book five saying that they had to stop using owls in the ministry because there was too much shit everywhere. So they don't even really have like a good spell to clean it up on a regular yeah. basis. Yeah. So it just it, health wise, it seems you're right. So biting is a hazard. And the, because, like, it's loud and bright and the bats are going to be extremely irritable. And then also they just poop everywhere. So, it, uh, there's, and there's only Filch. They only have one chance. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 there must be a, ma- I'm just going to, like, there's just a magical poop collector and, like, they can just fix. One of the things yeah. I am aware of in magic is that actually, like, now that I think about it more, it's like, wizards can fix muggle issues pretty well. And I suppose rabies files under like a specifically muggle problem 
but they can't yeah. like just fix their own things like the sector sectum sempra wounds or like dragon pox or whatever like if it's a magical ailment yeah then they can't just like magic it away but maybe they can with rabies hopefully with that many bats in the great hall let's go ahead with that assumption Right, okay, cool. This isn't a problem. Right, and we we know that none of the children in Harry Potter get rabies. So this is a concern that I'm just bringing up as an adult. It does Mm -hmm. not actually happen, although that that would be a wild storyline. Quirrell interrupts... (laughs) I'm so glad you pointed out that there's no, like, workplace emergency procedure. Uh, Quirrell interrupts the feast that had just started, by the way. None of these kids have actually gotten to eat yet, which sucks. To just mm-hmm. yell, troll in the dungeons, which is one of my favorite movie line readings, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Ian, just... Ian Hart kills it with his kind of troll in the dungeons line reading. My, I almost, I would say it's secondary to, thought you ought to know, and then just passes out. <laughs> right, yeah. I love it There's so a, much. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. I, I wonder, like, so the play here is that he's let the troll in to mm-hmm. distract everybody. I think the way this plays out in the end of the book, so that he can go to like the third floor corridor and hang out and try and get past Fluffy or whatever, see what's up. And that's why Snape runs up there later, is because exactly. he's kind of on to it and he knows that that's where Quirrell's going. But that, like in the moment, I'm like, what a weird, like I guess the dungeons are, I guess is about as far away as you can get from the third floor cor- corridor. So maybe it makes sense. Mm. Maybe this, Maybe this strategy makes sense. But it also, but it also kind of doesn't to me though, because like, if if I were the headmaster and a troll got into the school, the two professors that I would want to come with me to take care of this troll would be the um, care of magical creatures professor, so Grubbly Plank, and Defense Against the Dark Arts, so Quirrell. And so it just seems extremely like not plausible to me. That the literally, like literally, the defensive teacher of the school sees the troll, just sheds his pants, runs away, and screams in front of a bunch of children. Like, it's that's your job. <laughs> I guess. I guess. Well, I guess there's something to be said for like maybe this is maybe like on the grand scale of magic, mountain trolls are so kind of easy to deal with that it's like ah, Dumbledore will just go deal with it. Or like the first teacher there mm-hmm. will go and deal with it, which is why he needs to be scared of it. Right, which is, yeah, yeah, that is kind of dumb, too, because he's the defense against the dark arts teacher. Yeah, it's just, it's very dramatic in the books, and I never really questioned it until just now. I am extremely nitpicking. I'm sure if I ran into a troll, like, I would run away screaming, so I have no grounds to really (laughs) critique Professor Croyer. Yeah, we get an awesome moment with Percy. Dumbledore's like, all right, prefects, take your students to their dormitories, and then... The book says Percy was in his element. Like, yay, Percy, his moment to shine. He's in the spotlight. He was waiting six years. I think this is his sixth year at Hogwarts. He was waiting six years for this moment where there's a troll and he can he can usher all the students back to bed. <laughs> that was so funny. Yeah, and he's so excited and he gets like a full paragraph of being a prefect and then Harry and Ron run away and Percy does not catch them. <laughs> that's true too he, yeah, he doesn't do a great job here he loses two of the students pretty but also the two of the first years which surely are the most important people to usher back because they'll be the most confused and scared or whatever and one of which being his brother who they've already said is very easily visibly distinguishable right All you right. only need to count three other redheads 
Right. All right. Per yeah. That, okay. I, I was ready to give Percy a lot of credit for this performance. I was like, look, he is in his element. He's doing a great job. But you're probably right. This is a poor performance from Percy Weasley. No, no. He's great. He's great. I'm just nitpicking. Uh, Snape is uh, Snape is going up to the third floor cor corridor for non-shady reasons. We learn all this at the end of the book. But it's like, of course, our, our, our duo of dunderheads over here see Snape doing this, right? Like, like Ron was yeah. like 10 seconds ago waving his arms like a windmill and now he's like oh snape is going up to the third floor corridor what does this mean like of course they see him do this and they don't yeah. ask any questions about it it's like it must mean he's evil and terrible and the problem mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah absolutely no other thought i think this is our <laughs> second instance of like snape misdirection yeah the very very red herring it's very scooby-doo-esque this plot line like yeah. the, the 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 person is kind of the first person you meet, but there's a bunch of red herrings along the way, including a person like Snape who just seems like they're the bad guy. But it's because they're just grumpy. Yeah, <laughs> right. It, they're just grumpy. Ah, oh, this fucking guy. He's gonna go try and be evil Voldemort stuff. Now I gotta go stop him. And it, like he's trying to do that, and these two, two eleven year olds are like, "Hey, evil man." Yeah. You imagine you just like. You just got into a tussle with a three-headed dog because it's your stupid job to protect this dog and the stone because there's someone evil in the school. And then these two 11-year-olds were like, it's your fault. You did this. Ugh. So it's really <laughs> funny, though. And it's like, it's just the, the yeah. sleuthing abilities of Harry and Ron are just brutal. Like, just, just <laughs> terrible. And it's not illogical. Like, what they're saying, like, the the... The conclusion they come to based on their evidence does make sense. It's that they've really just narrowed in on that one specific thing that they're looking at, and they don't really start to ask any more questions other than what they already believe. No, no, no. They've seen enough. They know. They've seen enough. That's it. <laughs> case closed. Gavel hits yeah. something somewhere to close the case. <laughs> Snape is guilty. What is that called, by the way? Like, the thing that a gavel hits. Oh no, I should know that. I hope that you, if anyone that I know knows this, I was yeah. assuming it would be you. I don't know if it actually has a name. That could be true too. I, mean, I don't know either. I was just thinking about it. I, I What I, what I was that. trying to do is like avoid my own kind of embarrassment there where I was like, Gavel hits something somewhere. Quick, let's get clarification oh. before everyone emails me. That's what I was trying to do. Because I will oh, get emailed and be like, you idiot. The answer is really not satisfying. It's called a sound block. Ah. Uh, well, I still got it wrong, <laughs> though. We have successfully avoided the emails telling mm -hmm. me, hey, idiot person doing a <laughs> podcast. It's called a sound block, you dummy. You, you dunderhead. Yeah. Dunderhead's <laughs> one of my favorite insults, man. Like, Oh, it's so good. So good. Uh, <laughs> I didn't realize this happened until I read... This the whole chapter is like this for me. I had not yeah. realized... That the troll was not near Hermione at all until these two locked it in the bathroom. Like, it was kind of mm -hmm. going in that direction. And it was, mm -hmm. like, there... It was Harry and Ron's, like, genius plan to, like, lock it in the bathroom where Hermione is. But they knew Hermione was in the bathroom because that was their pretext for leaving. So it's yeah. like, aha, we got to the bathroom. Oh, the troll is in the area? Let's lock it in the bathroom and run away. It's not until they run away that they realize, like, oh, no, we've locked it in with Hermione. What are we doing? Yeah, I think it's just one of those, like, visual gags where the door is open and they slam it shut. And it's not until they've, like, closed the lock on it that they see, like, the woman symbol. 
right, 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 right. Fudge sticks. <laughs> it was so funny to me that maybe it's just the way the movie does this that I'm misremembering, but it was like so funny to me that the troll was not in the bathroom with Hermione. And then the our duo of Dunderheads locks it in there with Hermione, <laughs> which then sets up that they have to go back and save Hermione. Oh, so good. Yeah. That's like such a good little twist in the story that I just forgot had happened. That makes this so much more enjoyable. Yeah, they're so ridiculous. They're like, that thing's 12 feet tall and giant. You know what will stop it? A locked door. (laughs) Right. And I also like, uh, there's a few, the goblins being one of them, there are a few things where the stereotype, like the giants I had like later on, it's like, man, I wish things were a little more creative instead of just going with the stereotyped version from all the other kind of fantasy. Uh, but the trolls are one where I'm like, no, no change needed. Trolls are awesome. Just like big, dumb people that all have clubs that are like carved into clubs. It's the one thing they know how to do. They all found like one cloth piece of clothing and a perfectly carved club. And it's just yeah. dragging it. They don't lift it or carry it. They drag it on the ground behind them. That that visual is just so fun to me every single time. Yeah, and equally terrifying when you see it visually. Absolutely like, I lie, when terrifying. I saw, when I saw the troll for the first time, I was like, that's fucking scary. I wouldn't run into that bathroom. No, not at all. And to the to the boys' credit, uh, first I put, where are all the adults? Like we've we've <laughs> located the troll. If the two ele- like if the two eleven year olds left from like a, a common area that they were like leaving from to find this troll, mm-hmm. and it's just like in the bathroom that everyone uses. Like surely, like did every teacher just like sprint down to the dungeon? But also once they get to the dungeon and they see the trolls not there, don't they like come back? Like where are these people? Yeah, I. My best guess would would be maybe that Quirrell said the troll was in the dungeon, and then he let it somewhere else, so they all raced down to the dungeon. Probably that makes sense to me. And then and then once that was not true, they they had nowhere to start, so they just kind of started fanning out. Right, but, that's fair. I mean, they come in like like a good fictional story. They come in the nick of time after the eleven year olds have saved the day, but not not a second sooner. Like the second that things are good, they just burst through the yeah. door. Like, oh, we made it! Awesome. Yeah, but I love that it's McGonagall, Snape, and Quirrell, because we know that Snape and Quirrell were busy. They were trying to do some stuff. So was McGonagall just like on her own storming the halls looking to like turn the troll into a butterfly or something and they just tagged along right at the end? <laughs> that would have been the best. <laughs> oh, I want that. I want that um, fan fiction where this whole scene just plays out and like, McGonagall just finds the troll, turns into a butterfly, it flies away and there's actually just no problem. Like the whole, yeah, very easy. The whole thing is avoided. Um, all right, so our, our our heroes lock the troll in the bathroom with Hermione and sprint off, feeling victorious for half a second before they realize. They're like, no, it's locked in there with Hermione. What have we done? And then they say it was the last thing they wanted to do. But what choice did they have? And this is nice because they still... I, part 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 of this is probably like some sort of like guilt for the fact that if Hermione gets hurt now, it is definitely their fault, mm-hmm. right? However, it's still because of course they still have a choice. Like they could run off and not do this. They could go and find a teacher to deal with the troll, which yeah. would be the smarter thing to do, I think. If you were running mm-hmm. this back a hundred more times in like different simulations, mm-hmm. I bet you the go find a teacher works more often than not. Um, 
but it, I just like this because, of course, they have a choice. Of course, they can choose not to go, and they do it anyway. And that's why we cheer for Harry and Ron. Yeah, and then I one of my favorite sentences in like the entire series is <laughs> it's like right when they decide to turn around, and the phrase is "Then Harry did something that was both very brave and very stupid." Right, he like jumps on the troll. That could sum up yeah. all of Harry Potter, I think. That's yeah. most of what Harry Potter is, is just Harry doing brave, stupid things. Yeah. But I like, I think this is the first time we see Harry uh, do something heroic. Definitely because the I first think... time we see him some, do something heroic, yeah. Because, yeah, when he like defended Neville um, against Malfoy with the Remembral, you could argue like that was just as much about Harry's ego as it was about Neville. But this one is just purely like, Hermione's going to get hurt if I don't do something, so I'm going to do something. Yeah, absolutely. Harry's brave and stupid maneuver is the the wand in the nostril. Classic takedown yeah. troll trick, that one. It's on page number one of how to deal with a mountain troll. Shove your wand yeah. uh, in its Up nostril. And then... I mean... Oh, sorry. No, I was going to say, having received a COVID test... I would say that's pretty debilitating. That is true. I <laughs> can see now why that would be so uh, so effective. Yeah, when I got, I had quite a few COVID tests, and every time, yeah. like my nose hurts for the rest of the day. It sucks. Yeah, so I I feel for the troll just a little bit, just a little bit. I mean, this is not the troll's fault. He was guided here by Coral. I'm not blaming the troll. The troll is just being a troll. Yeah, he's just doing troll shit. Yeah, he's just being a troll. I have no problems with the troll here. The, the chapter loser is not the troll. Yeah, he was going to go trick-or-treating, and then Quirrell just ruined his whole day. Yeah. Fucking Quirrell, man. <laughs> Come on. Uh, <laughs> uh, Ron, off the top rope, out of nowhere, dropped from the clouds, <laughs> learned Wingardium Leviosa, <laughs> which comes immediately after the windmill arm thing, and this is the first time, I guess, he's cast the spell. Since I guess some time has passed a little bit, but I, I get the sense this is very much in the same couple of days here. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, he nails Wingardium Leviosa, picks up the right object, which is the club, drops it on the right part of the troll's head, which is all an accident. But hey, we'll give him the credit. Job is done. Well done, Ron. Yeah, he did it. And I think like it's nice for Ron that he was in the moment, able to drop his pride enough to actually do the things that Hermione was telling him to do. Because does, he does actually cast and do the swish and flick correctly. Right! So That's like a cool this, layer like, there. That Yeah, to save Hermione, he has to do the things that he was just mad last chapter, or this chapter. Um, yeah. And to drop the pretense. Like, yeah, he's super proud, but when it comes down to it, are you really going to take your pride over someone else's well-being? And the answer for Ron is no. Which I think is nice. It's very nice. Um, <laughs> so, so Ron... <laughs> I can't believe he actually executes this, but he does. Hermione is saved. <laughs> Troll is knocked out. They have a brief moment where they're trying to figure out if it's dead, which is so funny. This is a common first-year thing that happens a couple of times in the books. I know there's one in book seven, maybe where mm -hmm. uh, Harry or Luna stuns one of the Karos and then one of the first year Ravenclaws is like, is he dead? So I like this little gag that every time mm. someone gets knocked out, there's always like a first year around to be like, wait, is that person dead? Is this what death looks like? Do I get to see Thestrals now? 
Right. <laughs> uh, so good. Uh, the teachers burst in just in the nick of time. Very, very well-timed introduction of the mm-hmm. teachers here. Uh, they, it's an interesting dynamic because Hermione chooses to lie here. Mm-hmm. And I find this interesting because I wonder what would have happened if they had just told the truth. Because I don't know if the truth yeah. was all that bad. Like if everyone had just said, hey... Hermione was in the bathroom because we made fun of her. And so she was, or even just Hermione was in the bathroom. Yeah, she was in the bathroom. She's in the bathroom. And we saw the troll going into the bathroom and y'all were down in the dungeon. So we tried to save her. Like, is anyone getting in trouble for that? I find it weird. I like that Hermione lies here and I like that for her character. But I'm not convinced the truth would have been all of that terrible. Yeah, I think maybe the truth for Hermione would have been embarrassing. Probably. She doesn't want to admit that she's just been crying in the bathroom all day, or maybe there was, like, mandatory attendance at the feast. I'm not sure, really. I was thinking about that, too, the actual, like, efficacy of lying there when you could have just told the truth. Yeah, I I mean, I like that she does it. And, again, these are Mm -hmm. 11-year-olds who aren't rationally thinking through this all in the moment. But Mm -hmm. I do just find it fun in kind of retrospect that I'm not sure the truth was all that bad here. I think the truth was probably going to get him out of it just as much as the lie did. Yeah, it almost almost felt like an olive branch from Hermione. Because, like, I think Harry and Ron have both shown that, like, for honorable ends, they're willing to bend the rules. Right, yeah. Hermione sees all three of them in a risky position because they really shouldn't be in there. McGonagall is really angry and she focuses all of that ire on herself. And so she's like, you have done this before and I gave you crap for it. But now seeing what's happened, I'm going to do it for you and I'm going to take the heat. So I kind of see this as Hermione like, yeah, I already said, but like extending an olive branch, like, doing the one thing that she never that she said she'd never do to kind of prove herself to the boys yeah and what she admits to too is like pretty nuts like she admits like going and trying to fight the troll Mm -hmm. like not like oh i got caught up with the troll or whatever and i like and i asked these guys to help me take it down or anything she's like no i went to fight it and if it wasn't for these guys showing up i would be super dead like i find that i find this specific lie also interesting because it's kind of like mm. the maximum lie there. Like there's a middle ground too where you want to lie and like extend that mm. olive branch. But you don't need to make it sound like you're in. Like she kind of makes it sound like she's an idiot. In like a noble way. Like yeah I was mm-hmm. feeling good. I've been acing all my classes. And I just thought ooh a mountain troll. I can take that on. It's weird that that was the lie that was chosen too. But I, I'm here for it. It's great for Hermione. Yeah and what's kind of sad though is that she apparently has given such an impression of herself to her teachers that all of them found that believable on first glance. They were like, yeah, I know I could see you doing that. Right. That's true too. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. Oh, I mean, great for oh. Hermione. Absolutely clutch lie there. Nets them. Big fi- character growth. Big character growth, big character moment. And we need this moment to kind of get her into the friend, friend group. Cause so far mm-hmm. our perspective on her has been like two 11 year olds that don't really like her that much and find her mm-hmm. really annoying. Uh, mm-hmm. Nets five points though a five point net for Gryffindor not terrible considering the circumstances. Yeah, I I just I have this in my notes, but I just want to remind everyone that it's five points from Gryffindor for life threatening hubris. That is equivalent. <laughs> that is the equivalent of talking back to a teacher five times. 
<laughs> we, we, we need we, we have your like done dirty list we need like a points like every recorded instant of points being deducted or given so that we, so can we can see, see like the inflation which of, the, of house points yeah which are the most egregious yeah like apparently like trying to like go on a like it's not a suicide mission mission but an extremely ill-advised rescue attempt only five points Right, so Neville sticking out. I mean, at the end of the book, it's just contrived so Gryffindor wins by ten points. But mm-hmm. but pretending it's all real and legit, Neville gets ten points for like standing up to his friends, and Harry and Ron mm-hmm. get a combined ten points for like taking out a mountain troll that was about to murder their friend. Like those are not equivalent things. These are not the same. <laughs> <laughs> These two things are very different. Uh, we get the awesome line though. But from that moment on, Hermione Granger became their friend. There are some things you can't share with ended up liking each other, and knocking out a 12-foot mountain troll is one of them. Just very pretty. I like that a lot. I like that. And I, I liked how straightforward it was. It was just like, we're not going to do any dancing around it. They're just friends now. They've shared an experience. They're friends now. Don't ask questions. I will not. I love this. I think it all tracks mm-hmm. for me. Like the, the way this is all kind of set up to get Hermione into the group works perfectly for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's so sweet. And I, I put my notes. They are best friends forever. The world's cutest and most annoying 11-year-olds. Yeah, that's pretty much what it is. It's like a cool, but it's also great for Harry to have more friends. That's huge. It's also huge for Ron to kind of go through the process of kind of not liking someone until you understand them a little bit more. Like that's mm-hmm. huge character growth for Ron to kind of welcome her into the friend group after that. Yeah, and I also really liked how throughout this chapter harry was also tempering ron a lot like ron was prepared to be a lot meaner to hermione he was saying some kind of nasty things and harry would just chime in occasionally and be like that's not a nice thing to say or you kind of provoked her into doing that and so i did like that for harry to kind of stick up to his friend on behalf of someone who wasn't his friend at the time Right. There's they have this brief moment too where they kind of reminisce. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was like, Oh, we might not have had to save her if we hadn't locked the troll in with her. I was like, Good <laughs> self awareness. Well done. It's good that you know that, Harry. <laughs> yeah, like way to analyze this situation. It was very funny. Yeah, she might not have needed saving if we hadn't locked the troll in with her. Like, nope, probably not, Harry. That was <laughs> that was definitely your fault. Oh yeah. Absolutely. But you know, taking ownership of mistakes, that's important. That is important, especially if you're a brave and stupid person. Like, if your thing is doing brave and mm. stupid things, you gotta be a little self-critical to make sure you don't do something too stupid or too mm. brave one time. You have to have some cognizance of your own stupidity. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. What, Just a what, little bit, though. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any anything else before we move on to, to winners here? Um... The only thing that I think I would like to know for everyone is if you could add like one rule to Quidditch, what would it be? Oh, I a had a few ideas, um, but I, I don't think mine are that good. Like I had, if you set like an, an amount of time for the Quidditch game and then the snitch becomes worth less points and also goes slower the longer the game goes. Ah, that would be good. You're in the Facebook group now, right? Yes, you can find me under Rachel Pippin. Right. And, and my profile picture is Pippin. Right. The profile picture is your dog, who's an adorable yeah. dog. 
Um, but we can have this as like a Facebook thread in there. I'll just post it in there. Like, what rule would you add to Quidditch? Yeah. You want to have like a fun thing in the Facebook group? Yeah, something to make it more streamlined so the games don't take three months or maybe less murdery. <laughs> less murder is good. That's a that's a good rule. Yeah, but I would I would love to know what people's ideas are because I think like only having three rule, rules is not good for the game. <laughs> there there are like seven hundred. We do get told later there are seven hundred yeah. different fouls or something. They just don't actually exist. They're all it's all like fake papers. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They don't. Well, yeah. No one enforces them. Madam Hooch is asleep half the time. Yeah, maybe there are seven hundred rules, and Madam Hooch only bothered to teach the school three. It could be an enforcement issue. Maybe we're overlooking mm-hmm. the fact that there are enough rules, and Quidditch actually makes a lot of sense. It's just the way the game is administered is so bad that you can't tell mm-hmm. the difference between the two. I'm prepared to lay this all on Madam Hooch. I could be told on that. <laughs> right under the bus. Quidditch was great until Madam Hooch came along, and she fucked the whole thing up. And ever since Madam Hooch got on the Quidditch scene, it's an it's been a terrible sport. People have broken jaws. People are falling off their brooms. People getting knocked out like 300 feet in the air. It's fine. Is she the ref later on when Malfoy pretends to be a dementor in the middle of a Quidditch match? Like how how is that allowed? Like where's the security? Like, come on. The Dementors were the security. Right, that's true. But, like, that's what I mean. Like, that doesn't matter. Where are they? Uh, Not in the Quidditch pitch. No. No, that's actually untrue. They were near the Quidditch pitch. Yeah, because they... That was the whole problem. That was the problem. Anyways, we'll we'll dunk on Madam Hooch so much more. Uh, Yeah. There's time. (laughs) All right. Chapter winners. I went with Hermione for this one. Not because I want to knock off Harry and Ron's heroism here. The only reason I'm going to give it to Hermione, just easy, no doubt in my mind, is she deserves a win. She hasn't got a win yet, and she deserves a win for this chapter. But also, her kind of lying and whatever is kind of Mm -hmm. just her trying to do a nice thing, to do a nice thing out of appreciation for what the the, the boys had done for her. Whereas Ron Mm -hmm. and Harry's heroism, while I'm convinced they would have done it anyway was kind of baked in the fact that the whole situation was kind of their fault. And so Mm -hmm. I give less points for remedying a situation that you helped create than I would for if the troll was already attacking Hermione and you just went to deal with it. I think that, I think, Mm -hmm. I think the difference there is slight, but it's slight enough that I'm going to give the win to Hermione. Yeah. I think I, I had a tie. I was really, I was really, really struggling on this one. Um, between, I had a tie between Harry and Hermione I both thought they did some really cool things this chapter. Um, Harry, I think, does a lot of guiding with Ron, working with Ron on you know, his behavior. But then he also, you know, he gets to play Quidditch. He really kind of comes into his own. And then in the troll scene, he does actually burst in with a plan. Like, he knows that he wants Ron to distract the troll and and in that way they will create enough chaos to be able to like get Hermione to escape and that's the first time we really see Harry's like strategic brain at work so I thought that was really great but then for all the same reasons that you had said um I think Hermione was amazing in this chapter and she finally like she puts herself out there in a way that is unignorable for uh Harry and Ron um so I think now that I, I wrote this a couple hours ago, now that I've had some time to kind of marinate on it, I am leaning more towards Hermione 
Because you're right, the situation is entirely of, like, Harry and Ron's own creation. And she really, like, she does something that we've never seen before. And she breaks out of that mold she's kind of created for herself. So, I think I have talked myself into breaking the tie. I think I'm going to give it to Hermione. All right, so it's two for Hermione. What a win. That that really mm-hmm. helps in the Harry doesn't win Harry Potter to have two people not pick Harry in a chapter. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's super helpful. Uh, I really enjoyed your kind of other chapter winner, the more kind of pers- or place thing concept, because you had to clarify you didn't mean murder, and I laughed out yeah. loud when I read it. <laughs> It's just the first word that came to mind for for me was execution. And yeah, not like the murder, but just in terms of actually pulling things off successfully. Um, We see, like, I think how I quantified it is after nine chapters of essentially just exposition, we finally get to see our young witches and wizards do things. And successfully. So Harry... Uh, is able to like execute his plan to distract the troll. Um, Ron and Hermione are able to both cast Wingardium Leviosa eventually. Um, and so there's there's basically no more trying. It's just, if you're going to quote Yoda, it's like, there's no try. There's only do. And they really do in this chapter. So that's why I chose execution. Great pick. I... I feel like this is a common thing. I just like yours better than mine every time I do this. I went with friendship for a few reasons. Uh, the obvious kind of trio becoming the trio reason. Uh, the the kind of famous, like, mm-hmm. and then they were all friends after sharing. There's some moments you can't share without becoming friends. Like, that's just cool and makes a lot of sense. And as an 11-year-old reading this, you're like, yeah, friends. My friends are cool. I have friends. They're awesome. And so you, this is, it just kind of hypes up friendship a little bit. But also, like, I kind of tied it in with Harry kind of having an awesome two months and kind of he's hanging out with Seamus a little bit in this chapter. He's, you know, you're, he's on the Quidditch team with some of the older students. There's just a lot of different, like, friendships going on here that I appreciate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it does, like, it's, it gives me the warm fuzzies, the idea that this is kind of like the solidifying the friendship in this chapter. Because Harry, Ron, and Hermione are such an iconic trio of characters. And it's nice to see that, I guess there was a reason for them to all start being friends. And it happens here. And this is the base of it. So it is It is nice to reread it again. Perfect. All right. Do you have anything else for Chapter 10, Rachel? Oh, I was going to ask you, did you have an alternative chapter title? Oh, did I go over mine? Did we not do this? No, I think we messed up the natural rhythm because I did the recap this time. Oh, I'm the worst. How do I even... Oh, my goodness. How do I even not follow my own... The way, for those of you listening, all I do is scroll down the document as we record. <laughs> like, I don't know how this happened. Did I not put... I even put a chapter title. Oh, my goodness. Yes, my... Wow. This is why Rachel's here, everybody, because I'm an idiot. I... Yeah, I went with Lingardium Leviosa. As, like, I didn't want to give away the game with, like, the troll or, like, the friendships or any kind of the the big kind of things that happen in the chapter. I like my chapter titles to be, you know, detailed enough that they make sense, but not so detailed that they spoil anything. Um, mm. But just, like, Wingardium Leviosa having its own kind of arc here in this chapter um, and kind of being a, a linchpin in, in the execution of the, the kill the or the knockout the troll plan. I just thought it had a nice little arc. We're learning a little bit more about magic. I think if this chapter had been entitled Wingardium Leviosa, it would have fit for me just as much as Halloween. 
Probably more mm-hmm. so than Halloween, actually. Yeah, I think, and Wingardium Leviosa is one of those iconic spells. Not to overuse the word iconic, but in the Harry Potter universe, at least, it is, it's like the foundational spell for these kids. Right. And mine, I'm, I'm like overly proud of mine because it's a dumb pun. And the more I talk on the podcast, the more you'll probably hear me make them. But I called my, my alternative title Flying Clubs, Quidditch and Other Asundries. And I just really like it because there's a flying club, Quidditch. And there's also a flying club, which is what the <laughs> troll holds. And right. the, it's really dumb, but it makes me laugh. So that's my title for this week. I also, just just so you can get credit for your own puns, I don't even know if this is intentional. I definitely caught the, the it was really charming pun for the charms class earlier, but I didn't want to laugh out loud in the <laughs> middle of you. I didn't want to interrupt you while you were talking by laughing. So I just kind of held it in, but I did register it. I do it all the time almost by accident at this point. Yeah, no, I, I did. I just wanted you to have that credit. Like, yeah, I made that charms oh, pun and someone noticed. <laughs> oh, thank you. No worries. All right, everybody. That's going to do it for chapter 10. I'm always shocked they can talk for more than an hour about each individual chapter, but maybe that that's what makes people good at doing a podcast like this, I suppose. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for listening. In the next one, we'll be back, sh- shockingly, with chapter 11. We're just going to keep on chugging along in order for, I guess, at this pace, like 500 years until we're at the end of book seven. Uh, But we'll get there eventually. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you in the next one.